Hey y'all, welcome to Adventures with Aggie. I'm super excited to be back after a little break and I'm even more excited about today's guest. We have Devin Harris. He's a Jamaican bobsledder who founded the Jamaican bobsled team in 1988 and competed in the Olympics in Calgary, Alberta. He's also a retired military officer and currently serves as a motivational speaker. So on that note, welcome Devin. Devin, how are you doing today? Hey Aggie, I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me on. How are you? Awesome. I'm great. I'm so excited to learn a little bit more about your story. I know you've done amazing things. Um, so just to get started, I wanted to ask you, like, why sports? How did you know you wanted to go into sports, compete at a high level and things like that? Well, you know what? I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Really? Um, but I, 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 so when I was younger, I loved school. Um, I loved learning. But, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe the reason why I love uh, school so much was because I loved to play. <laughs> and, I, and I could play, you know, you know, fairly freely at school. And then I discovered sports, um, soccer. Um, and the thing about, although I grew up in a really rough neighborhood where everybody was poor, um, you, I kind of felt like, Oh, now that I'm on a soccer field, I, I found this ability to express myself that had nothing to do with the value of my pocket, but you know the, the the passion that I could bring out from inside. And so I really loved how that feel, how that felt. Um, you know, I, I guess I've always been competitive that way, and it just kind of grew. Um, and and I because sports was fun, and I loved playing. It just kind of. Uh, stayed with me. So as I grew older, I, when I got to high school, I ended up, ended up running track. And I uh, started training seriously at 15. And uh, this is 1979, the year before the Olympic Games in Moscow. Um, and ABC Wide World of Sports had this series called Road to Moscow. And they would highlight athletes from around the world, um, different disciplines talking about their lives. And, you know, when we think of Olympic athletes, Aggie, we tend to see them as superhuman beings. Um, but that series, I realized that they were very average and ordinary people. They're just, just like you and I, they just had these amazing dreams and an equally amazing desire to go achieve those dreams. And I'm like, oh, so maybe I could become an Olympian as well. And so I started dreaming about competing in the Olympic Games and what do you know? <laughs> Here I am. That's amazing. I love it. You're, it's fun. So why not? You know, let's try it. That sounds great. I love it so much. Um, great. So after school, you became a military officer and this idea of a bobsled team is kind of pitched to you, right, by the Jamaican Defense Force. So what was intriguing to you about this? And I don't what did you learn from this experience? Um, so, yeah, so, you know, growing up, there are two goals that I had and the, the big, more overarching one was to become an army officer. And so I, I got that done, um, but I had the Olympic dream going still. And uh, so it's 1987 and I'm, I'm running my five miles every morning thinking maybe I can get fit enough to qualify for the Seoul Olympic Games. And that's when the idea to start the bobster team uh, was pitched to the army and my colonel told me to go to the team trials. Um, but prior to him telling me that, quite frankly, I was ambivalent. I didn't think I was going to go. I thought it was a ridiculous idea. And I was planning to go to the Olympics anyway, to run. But the minute he told me that I was going to the team trials, I knew I wanted to make the team. Uh, because I, you know, I had this deep desire to represent my country in sports. 
And this seemed like a, a, an opportunity. Um, I didn't want to make it pass. So, you know, I really, I really dove into it. Man, and so, so what have I learned? Oh my God, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, I think I think the biggest thing that I've learned is not that I can learn to bobsled in a few months, but the fact that any any one of us can do anything really within reason that we that we set our minds to. Um, because this was, you know, obviously it seemed an impossibility. There was definitely a steep learning curve. There's was there was there were, I mean it was challenging all around, but you know we we really uh, poured ourselves into it and made something of it. Definitely, I know. I guess what have you learned? I'm sure you've learned so many things, and I can tell from reading your book, it's so inspirational, it's so motivational. You learned a lot. Like I I, re- I learned so much just from reading the excerpt on your yeah. website. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So you know, I, I talk about the fact that yeah, you know, maybe the biggest thing I learned is that we can accomplish anything that we set our minds to. But yeah, right. you know, if if you go back to our, uh, my book and some of the hot lessons from Cool Runnings, um, the book is called. You know, I was just speaking and just having a conversation before I came on with you um, about the crash, for example, and. You know, we, we fail in front of the entire world and people, when they fail, and we all are going to experience failures at some point in our lives, um, people see it as the end of the world and it's really not, it's uh, an, an opportunity to learn. And I often say, you know, hey, the results that you earn is is not always, um, the results that you get is not always a final score, right? It, you have to, when you experience failure, look at the journey. Um, because we're so good at beating ourselves up. But hey, did you learn anything? Did you grow? Did you inspire someone along the way? We did that, right? I speak about the fact that I'm scared of speed and height, and people think I'm joking, but I am. Um, <laughs> but I did Bob setting anyway, and I've jumped out of planes because I think that you have to really f- learn to confront your fears, right? Um, it's called courage. It's not the absence of fear, it's being scared to death, <laughs> but saying, oh, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Because um, what happens is when you face your fears in one area of your life, it really translates into other areas of your life as well, because it's all interconnected. So, yeah, uh, true, you know, the fact that none of us succeed by ourselves, you know, that's, I know it's a cliche, but teamwork does make the dream work. Um, <laughs> none of us on... So like I, I said, I was dreaming about and training to go to the Olympics in 88 in Seoul, Korea. I mean, I look back now, I know, quite frankly, I stood a better chance of making it to the Winter Olympics. I was not going to qualify for the 88 Olympic Games. But, and neither was my other teammates. They weren't going to go to the Olympics in, you know, doing something else either. But when we joined forces with a shared vision, we're able to do something, uh, you know, quite remarkable. That's awesome. Yeah, no matter how cliche teamwork makes the dream work is, everybody says it, everybody knows it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true though, it's, it's very true. You need Definitely. other people, none of us. You know, we, we like to think that we succeed by ourselves and you hear about a self-made man or the self-made woman and look, I don't get it, it wrong. Our success begins with us, um, but it doesn't end with us alone. 
we, we need other people in there to help us. Definitely, definitely. Well, I wanted to ask you about the challenges. So you spoke about the crash. That was obviously a hard moment for you and your team. But what was like the greatest challenge you faced when you were launching this team? Was it like the uncertainty, the trainings, I don't know, qualifying? I know a lot went into it before y'all made it to that Olympic stage. So what mm -hmm. was the challenges like building up to that? Um, I think maybe the learning curve, it was really steep. Because um, understand the Olympics are in February of 1988. And the first time we went on a bobsled track was October of 1988. So, you know, there are a few steps, quite a few steps <laughs> that you can need to uh, get into that short space of time and perf and reach a certain level of proficiency to be able to compete in the Olympic Games. So the, the, the ch most challenging part for me was the, yeah, the learning curve, kind of getting there. Um, the weather was challenging, but, you know, it's winter, man. You, you put on a warm jacket and you're good, honestly. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the other maybe outside of the learning curve was just convincing myself that I could, believing that I could. I think um, was one of those hurdles that we had to cross. And, and you're absolutely right, though. There was a, a certain amount of uncertainty. Uh, and it's, it was not so much about our ability to learn and, and progress in such a short period of time, but the funding. There was no funding or very little funding. Um, and, it, you know, again, to go back to what, you lear what I learned from the experience, it's that you don't because it's hard doesn't mean you throw your hands up you know it, it's hard and so that's those are the times when you start to think uh, creatively and become innovative and so we made t-shirts and we would sell them i remember we were going to we we're in austria and we we're going to a club and boogie up beside a couple with a bag of t-shirts and go hey man you want to buy a shirt you know and, and the guy would say no but the girl wanted it so he paid for it and we got dinner so oh my <laughs> you know I love you have it. to hustle. Yeah, yeah, gotta hustle. I love that. I want a shirt. I want one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, so okay, fun. fine. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm sure there were lots of challenges. So much. I couldn't imagine y'all were doing incredible things. Um, so what was like what were your emotions like when you're going to the Olympics? Like were you feeling? I'm sure there were some nerves. Um what was that like? I don't know. I would be super excited, but also, I don't know, just torn. So much is happening, you know, all of the adrenaline's running and stuff. So what was that like? Uh, you know, excited that we were finally making it. Uh, the, the thing I think about, and especially as it relates to my emotions um, in Calgary, was the, the day we actually marched in the opening ceremonies. Because mm -hmm. uh, I think there was a lot of anticipation kind of building up and we're doing the training and you know it's coming and I'm counting down the days as I always do. But then you get there and you you make the first step into the stadium with 50,000 people screaming their heads off. And I promise you more cameras than you can count. <laughs> and, and because you have watched this a few times, right, on TV, you watch the opening ceremonies, you know in that moment that your image is, you know, being blasted around the world in that moment. Uh, and when you are watching it, you're looking at these men and women going, well, those are some of the best athletes in the world. And you know, there are some little kids somewhere 
looking at you going, well, he must be one of the best athletes in the world. And you're trying to, you're hoping that you can actually live up to that, quite frankly. But, you know, in that moment, you're living the dream, man. Like that dream that has, that was, that got birthed when I was 15 years old in 1979. Here I was. Forget road to Moscow. This is my road to Calgary. Um, yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. You competed in three Olympics, right? Yes, I did that. So Calgary in 88. I was a pusher um, on that four-month sled in Calgary. Yeah. And then I became a driver. So I drove in uh, Albaville, 92, and Nagano, 98. How, what motivated you to compete in three? Like, so many emotions in every single Olympic Games. I would imagine one is like, you made it. So how do you do three, mentally and physically? One can't be enough. I give one can't be enough. <laughs> It was this. It was was this belief that we could really excel. We that we had the potential if we could get everything lined up, the funding and everything, the support that we could excel and be as good as anybody else and and contend for a medal, even win a medal. Um, that more than anything else, you know, like that desire to want to to excel and win that medal for your country makes you go. Yeah, definitely. I bet. Now, can I transition into business and speaking? So how did you kind of like transition from your training and competing schedule to this business mindset? I know now you're a motivational speaker. I'm super motivated just sitting here listening to you speak. So I love this. (laughs) But what was that transition like from, I guess, sport Um, to business? Yeah, kind of interesting. I I just, uh, when I was training, when I was trying to get to my third Olympic Games, uh, you know, I was living here in New York, and that created uh, something called the Jamaica Bobsled Club New York, and I'm trying to raise money and find Jamaicans and recruit them and train them. And I met this guy uh, who wanted to be my agent. He was an agent for some reggae singers. And I never had an agent before, so it kind of sounded cool. I'm like, all right, cool, let's do it. Um, So then he introduced me to this idea of motivational speaking, never heard of it before. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that after the Olympics because you kind of have to keep focused. And it turned out that his only goal in my life was to tell me about motivational speaking. He did nothing, absolutely nothing to help me to go to the Olympics, but he had planted the seed. So now I'm working with some new, some other guys and I say, hey, after the Olympics, I, I'm going to be a motivational speaker. Again, didn't know what it looked like, didn't know what it was, um, and while I was trying to qualify for the Olympics, um, I was in Salt Park City. Uh, the guy who ventured became my agent, came to my room with a VHS. That's how long ago this is. <laughs> right. Stuck it into the VCR. Do you, do you even know what a VCR is? I do, I do. I had some when I was a kid. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Right, I'm dating myself here. But there it was a speaker, um, uh, an Olympian from Canada, Vince Pacenti. And he goes, can you do this? And, I'm, and, I, and I looked at him, I'm like, yeah, I could do that. So I, I go after the Olympics and I came back and I started speaking at rotor clubs and schools and wherever, and it, it kind of grew from there. That's awesome. You're really great at it. I love listening to you. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I think that's great. So when did your foundation come about? Like when did Keep On Pushing become Keep On Pushing? Well, keep on pushing. Even before the foundation, um, actually, when I created the foundation, it was initially, initially originally called the Devon Harris Foundation. Okay. 
Um, but as I'm thinking about my business and the message that I wanted to, to, to get out there, and then I'm thinking about, you know, I'm a bobsledder. How do, how do I connect bobsledding to, to what I'm doing and in a way that I can like, teach some life lessons? Well, what do we do in bobsledding? We push. We, that You have to push the sled. But <laughs> the thing is, not, it's not one massive push. It's actually a process um, of getting over the initial inertia and building the momentum. And in life, when you're going after your goals, it's not, it's not a one and done. You don't just make an effort and then you achieve your goals, right? You have to keep on pushing and build the momentum. And even as you're, you know, and so when we do that and you're heading down the track, it's still dealing with the challenges, the twists and turns of the track and the ice conditions and the weather conditions. And you're also trying to, to do better than what you did previously, life. Um, so you're always trying to grow and in the process, you're trying to grow the people and the organizations around you. So that's kind of how I started coaching um, the ideas that I shared with companies uh, you know, around the world that I speak to. And it just made sense to change the name of the foundation to the Keep On Pushing Foundation because it's kind of the same thing you're trying to. Um, so our goal is to provide practical solutions to some of the issues that have prevented kids in disadvantaged communities from, from getting properly educated. So you're trying to push them um, out of their circumstance and you have to keep the process going. And, you know, so we provide a breakfast program and a school supplies program. And I can see that as our efforts continue to grow, we'll create other programs that will help them, like thinking about computer labs and, you know, IT training and so on to keep on pushing them so that they can um, become resourceful themselves and, and, and you know, um, independent. That's the goal. Definitely. And that's based in New York City? So the foundation is, uh, is based in New York City in terms of administration. The work is done in my, I, I'm right now focused on my, on, at my old elementary school in Kingston. Okay. And the idea is to grow this, uh, you know, across, across the island, across the Caribbean, eventually into South and Central America. Love that. That's so awesome. I'm excited. Keep on pushing. Keep on pushing. Keep on pushing. <laughs> yep. I love it. Um, awesome. So I kind of already talked about your book, but I wanted to ask again, what was the experience like? Why did you write your book? What made you, I know you've done a lot of things, but you were like, I need to write it down so I don't forget. I know lots of people do that. <laughs> but yeah, what was that like? Um, I'm trying to, so, you know, I'm a speaker and, I, and uh, so maybe the first inkling uh, that I should write a book was people go, so do you have a book whenever I go speak? I'm like, oh, no, I don't have a book. And um, so I just started, it took me about a year to just start it. Start. So the question is like, so you're going to write about what is it going to be about? What? Um, and uh, because I'm speaking and I'm really passionate about um, teaching and inspiring people. I'm like, okay, let's think about the lessons that I've learned from Bob Stelling and from my time growing up and, and being in the army and so on. And hence the, the title, Hot Lessons from Cool Runnings. Um, so I just kind of sat there and I, it's, it's a, again, a process where I just kind of wrote everything in my life experiences from A to Z. And then I tried to figure out what lessons are contained in there and then how do you expand and expound on those lessons and 
Uh, yeah, so it took about a year to, to, to get done. Awesome. That's so funny that it was because people were asking for it. They wanted your book. They wanted your story. And yeah. more than just, I don't know, just a public speaking appearance, you know, it's cool. Yeah, um, all right, fine. I'll write one. There, here you go. <laughs> take <laughs> it, take it. <laughs> I love it. Um, awesome. So I have to ask about the movie. What was mm -hmm. this like? I feel like if somebody said they're going to make a movie about something I had done, I would feel very weird and nervous about it but how was how did that come about like did they approach you and ask like hey can we make a movie about your story or you and the team what was what was that like I don't know how did that start yeah so um so two Americans George Fitch and William Maloney they were the ones who came up with the idea to start the team if you've seen the movie you remember Sanka racing this wooden cart <laughs> and to them it looked like Bob selling two crazy guys going down the side of a mountain in a cart, right? <laughs> um, so George Fitch, you know, after the Olympics in Calgary, um, he started, you know, really shopping the idea around in Hollywood. I mean, we, we're in Jamaica, we don't have a clue about how these things work. Um, and so in short order, we would make trips from Jamaica up to New York to meet with the writers and and they took copious notes believe me they were taking copious notes you would not know it from watching the movie but, <laughs> but um and so then for about five years you know every six months or so you'd get a call hey they're filming oh they're not filming hey they're filming hey oh they're not filming uh to, and i remember my friends go hey so what's going on with the movie i'm like i, I don't even know i don't care <laughs> I was getting frustrated, like, and maybe that was just kind of a defense mechanism not to be disappointed. And then eventually, um, in early 93, I got a call, hey, they're filming in Calgary. Would you like to go on the set? I'm like, yeah, of course. So, you know, it's a really cool thing I, I to say, um, for me to say that it's, it's really cool to be on a Hollywood movie set. It's really flattering to be on a movie set watching them film um, a movie about an important part of your life. So yeah, pretty special. I bet, I bet, that's so cool. Wow, I don't know how I would feel walking into a movie. How did you like meet the person that was playing like you or your character? Yeah, so I was on the set and, um, and so I met all the, all the actors and I guess it's easier because the, the characters in the movie are really different from real life characters. Right. I mean, there's one that I relate to the most, Yul Brenner, the bald headed guy, uh, because he was a dreamer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was just, I mean, we just kind of chatted, man. Um, and I was looking forward to seeing what the end result would be. But That's yeah, so cool. cool. I love it. I love it. It's a it's a great movie despite some of the differences in what actually happened and I think the motivational piece is still there and it's still really exciting to watch. But I agree. That's the the, the thing that I focus on the most. I'm yeah. like it's a great human interest story. Even if it was a movie about me, I would mm -hmm. love it. I would enjoy it um, because I and as a motivational speaker, I like, I can really relate to those powerful life lessons that that it has. Definitely, definitely. Um, so kind of a follow-up, I guess. Where did the phrase cool runnings come from? Was that something y'all created when you're trading in things? I know like your book, your the movie, everything, cool runnings. I know everybody knows it now. So where did this yeah, like, it's, phrase come it's from? It's something that we say in Jamaica all the time though, cool yeah? runnings. Um, yeah, because we're, 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 we're cool. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, you know, we, we have uh, so many different phrases and, and, and sometimes there's, um, you know, multiple fr- phrases that say the same thing. Um, cool running is a little bit different. It's like, it kind of means like everything is as it should be. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, Andy, let's, um, I see you at six. And go, yeah, cool runnings. Right. It's, yeah. So we, we use that all the time. I, I have one friend who says cool breeze, but most mm-hmm. cool breeze. And it really means, <laughs> yeah, man, cool breeze. Yeah, yeah no problem. <laughs> everything is as it should be. Cool runnings. I like it. I wish I was cool enough to say it. I want to say it. <laughs> you can say it. Come on. I give you permission. Go for it. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Um, cool. So just to wrap up, I wanted to ask you, um, I always end my shows on advice. So what's one piece of advice you would give to young people who are looking like to find their drive or like their motivation or like can't figure out what the next step is, but they're trying to get there. I know you give a lot of advice. So asking for one piece is a lot, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, you know, um, uh, the book, the good book says, seek and you shall find. Um, and so you may be going through a, through a period in your life where you just don't know what it is you want to do. And I have been there, believe me. Um, you have to, I, it says seek. It didn't say seek once or twice. You have to just keep at it. You have to keep seeking. I, I promise you, if you're looking hard enough, um, you will find it. And maybe the, the initial answer that you get that cause you to take action and not is not necessarily the final destination, but it's putting you on your path. Um, and I know because, you know, when I was in the army, I mean, when I was growing up, that's all I wanted to be, uh, be in the army. And then there was a point I'm like, you know what? No, I want to go do something different. Been there, done that. What, <laughs> what? And I didn't know what the hell I was going to go do next. Um, but it was a question I kept asking myself and, but I was actively seeking an answer to it. And it's kind of really interesting how this um, kind of happened. One Sunday, I picked up the newspaper, and there was a, a, a correspondence course. This is all long ago, right? A <laughs> correspondence course on hospitality management. I'm like, aha! That's what I want to do. Oh. Um, and so I, I, and that got me to move to the US to study hospitality management. Um, but in the process of doing that, learning how to um, do marketing and write proposals for the bobsled team, because I wanted to go back to the Olympics as well, discovered motivational speaking. And now I live in, I, I work in hotel. I, sorry, now I live in hotels. I don't work in them. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that would be my thing, man. It, it's, um, it's a constant, you have to, you know, you have to keep pushing, you have to keep searching, you have to keep trying to find the answers and don't give up and go, I don't know what to, what I want to do with myself. Because if you do that, then you're really cut off any possibility of you finding out. Um, you have to, whatever you, whatever it is that you're doing now, you have to work hard at it and be the best you can at it and, and keep going, okay. So if I could picture my life doing the thing I love the most, what would that be? And I, I promise you the answer is inside of you. And it's you now figuring out what that thing is that 
that you you love so much and it's it's again sound like a cliche but it's true you love it so much that you do it for free and then you go okay i'm not going to do it for free though <laughs> <laughs> so you figure out how, how to turn that into into a career into a business definitely i feel like i'm hearing pieces of your book coming out of i get through your voice it's so cool yeah <laughs> No, I love it. I love it. Of course, I'm kidding around. I'm I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're having that connection. Yeah, definitely. That's great advice. I'll definitely keep it in mind. I know I love advice. I need all the advice I can get, and kind of in that space too of not knowing what's coming next. And I feel like everybody is right now in the circumstances and stuff. So, lovely advice. But thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you find it valuable. But but it's true. I mean. All of us, I think, get to that space, um, and you have to keep seeking. Definitely, definitely, awesome. Well, this was great. Thank you so much for sharing your story and offering all the wonderful advice and lessons and things. I know I learned so much. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm, I'm glad you found it valuable. Hopefully, your, your guys will find it valuable. Your listeners will find it valuable as well. And hey, don't forget to keep tuning in. Uh, to Aggie here because she's provided, she's putting a lot of effort into providing you some amazing content that is going to uh, make a difference in your life. So please support her. Stay tuned for more episodes on Adventures with Aggie coming next week.